This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And before we came on tonight, Taylor and I were chatting, and the, the term storytelling just kept coming up. And it occurred to me that we have hit occasionally around the idea of how you became such a uh, a storyteller but we've never really spent an episode just talking about you as a storyteller how you sort of developed into it you you sort of evolved you were a storyteller you you became a writer and as a newbie writer teaching yourself how to write you somehow incorporated that storytelling talent and you have just continued to develop it. So let's talk about storytelling, Taylor. Okay, I'm game. So when you were when you wrote The Informationist and and I I think for most people who are listening to this know that that was your first book and you were kind of finding your way as as you were writing that book. Uh, at what point do you feel like your storytelling skills came into play was it from the very beginning and you were just developing your your writing skills or was it a combination of the two or storytelling came later what how did what came first the chicken or the egg as a farmer you should know (laughs) i i don't actually um i think i mean we've talked before i've talked about how i believe that my sense of story is somewhat innate like it's always been with me. I've always found storytelling to be, it's just how I interact with the world. I I can't just put a post, for example, in the Facebook group and say, Hey, this happened. There's always a whole story behind it. And there's this sort of sense of drama that is part and parcel with storytelling. I am not a dramatic person by nature. But I have an innate ability to see the drama in a story and convey it in such a way that it's more than just, hey, and this happened. So that part of it, I think, was always with me. And maybe as I was writing The Informationist, it gave me... I don't want to say an edge, but like uh, the ability to sense when something was working and when it wasn't. Whereas where I really struggled was finding a way to convey that in words. So it took me a long time to learn how to write. But the storytelling aspect of it was less of a struggle. But I don't think I really understood story until at least, oh, it's embarrassing to say this maybe the mask, my fifth book, (laughs) like, but that was when we started the podcast and I started having to discuss it and explain 
And it forced me to think. And so that's at the point where I began to actually understand story as a process instead of just the backbone for this writing that I was doing with these characters or what have you. All right. So I want to, I want to get back to that evolution of of that, but I want to go back to the, to the informationist. You, you mentioned that you could tell when things were working and when they weren't working. What does that mean? What do you mean? Well, so I was working with drafts, obviously, and I would read them and it would just, it would feel wrong. The words weren't right. The, it feel dumb. Like that's really, it didn't feel like it flowed or where you read it and you just fall into it. It was more like, that's how a teenager or a child would say those things. It doesn't connect or resonate. It's just words on a page that are telling things in a really dumb way. And by dumb, I mean like, when I first started out, I had a tendency to, instead of facing a sentence head on, here's what's happening in plain in plain language, it'd be like, what's a fancy, not like that was my thought process, but what's mm-hmm. a fancy way to say it? And I would start somewhere down the middle of the thought process and put that in the front and then do these convoluted twists to eventually get to the point. And through the process of trial and error, I realized that doesn't work. It sounds like you're trying so hard and still not getting the output that you're going for. Just say what you say. Just say what you're trying to say. She stood there, not, and the trees around her and whatever, just, she stood there and looked around. It's okay to say that, right? It took me a long time to realize that you just, keep your thoughts going in the order that they go, the the order that they flow. You don't have to twist sentences into pretzels for some sake of literariness or whatever. And I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to make the words on the page match what I was feeling and what I was seeing inside my head. And it took me a while to figure out that you do that not by painting this elaborate picture, but by writing cleanly and straightforwardly and letting the mind make its own elaborate picture. And so that's where I really struggled was with finding a way to convey it. But the sense of what I needed to convey was a lot less of a struggle. Okay. So you knew. Like, if if I was painting, I would probably know what I, I wanted the painting to look like and or what I was painting, but someone looking at it might not recognize it as as such. Well, was if I was that painting, kind that would of definitely thing? be the case. <laughs> <laughs> was it that kind of thing where it's like, here's where the, the story needs to go, and I need to use words to get it there. And and you did you feel like you were letting yourself down with the words or the story? The words. The words just felt really corny and really... I keep saying dumb. It wasn't dumb. They weren't oversimplistic. It's not like I was using like great first grade language or anything. 
My vocabulary is my vocabulary, but the structure, the order of the words, the starting a lot of sentences with ing words, like having come to this location, you know, that type of a thing, instead of she arrived, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and trying to find unique ways to say things that didn't need to be said uniquely and forgetting that cliches are the things that you want to avoid, you know, just (laughs) really simple things. But it's because when I would read, I would get movies in my head. And I didn't understand that process, that that process is brought about by clean, just simple writing. Like you can use big vocabulary. That's not what I mean by simple, but not convoluting the sentences all over the place, getting the words in the right order, getting the elements in the right order to lead the mind where it needs to go. And I would have these movies playing in my head and all these emotions in my in, in inside me when I would read other people's work. And I was trying to replicate what I was seeing and what I was feeling by just going into way too many words and and you know maybe one day I can find a draft, an earlier draft and read you what I'm talking about. It's really hard to explain it because I don't even know if I could write that way now if I tried, because it's just not, it's what I'm trying to get away from. But if you were to read one of my earlier drafts, you would not think, oh, this is someone who's going to be able to tell a very compelling story one day. You'd be like, oh, this is someone who's, bless her heart working on it (laughs) and it just took me a while to figure out how to actually say things in a way that other people could make their own mental movies and I didn't have to worry about cramming that down like I think the first the first drafts of the prologue to the information is just went on and on about you know the the setting and all the how much green there was and the the humidity and all these types of things and it trying to set this scene so people could see it in their heads. And now it's not, it it takes us, it's still there, but much more muted because we follow the character. This is where he would die. You know, you don't, you get several paragraphs in before you really start to get a sense and feel of the texture of the place because you're already inside that character's head and learning how to do that was just, so much trial and error. And I I knew what the scene was supposed to. I I knew this scene needed to be a certain way and finding a way to to put it into words that someone else could see it. That's where the struggle was. And honestly, that's still where the struggle is. So thinking back on this time when you were you were using these words, you were writing in in this fashion that you, you hadn't become yourself yet as a writer and did you feel like the story was coming across or like i've read books before where the writing is kind of clunky and but the story is so good you want to get to the end so did you have any sense of that with what you were doing that the story was was compelling enough you just needed to get the words right or was it all mixed together in a jumble i think a lot of it was mixed together in a jumble but that was because i hadn't really thought about the story much before i even started like 
the information is to me is unique in that way that I didn't have a plot. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even have characters. I just wanted to write about this place, Equatorial Guinea. So to do that, I needed a reason for a character to be there. And then I needed a reason for that character to be the one that got there, that got pulled into it. And I needed a reason for her to have these skills that she does. And so much of the story was driven by what is the reason for this thing? And if I'm honest, that's still how it works. If if someone is able to keep asking themselves, what is the reason for this? And then answering that on the page, they will find a story. The story will come. So much of what doesn't work with story is because there is no real reason, except that's what the author wanted to happen. And so I think that for me, that sense of story was born from what is the reason for this? Why is this character here? And then writing around that to make it happen. But because I hadn't thought the whole story through, I didn't really know how it was going to come together until I got to the end. I was figuring it out along the way as I went. So there was never this place where I could go, oh yeah, this story is going to be good. What I did think when I was about maybe halfway to three quarters of the way through with the you know earlier drafts is, oh, this character has something about her that might actually be compelling. But it was never the story itself that made me feel that way. The story was just a vehicle to talk about Equatorial Guinea. And I needed it to make sense. I needed it to be a reason that they went to Montgomery, a reason for this thing to happen, a reason for that thing to happen. And uh, yeah, that's called plot, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> and plot is plot is story plus character, I guess. I mean, we've, we've done the equations before. But I, I had the character and the reasons for why that character was doing what they were, she was doing and going to the places that she was going eventually built the story. I would not recommend doing it that way. <laughs> it's, it was a lot of figuring it out. And that's why I prefer to understand the whole story now to, to a degree before I even start the writing, because all those reasons get sorted out ahead of time. And then it's easier to just figure out the connections between them as I'm doing the writing. Okay, so now jumping ahead a, a bunch of years uh, to today, when you watch things, and we talk a lot about the things that you watch, and then you use those for storytelling and writing uh, prompts, or not, not prompts, but uh, ideas for shows and things. Um, where do you think this knowledge of story um, that that was... You were a storyteller as a child. You became a writer as an adult. You developed your storytelling chops. And I, my sense is that after the fact, you mentioned uh, once we started doing the podcast and you had to really start thinking about things, you, you put together a more of a sense of how you would explain it, maybe even just to yourself so that you understood it better, so that you could explain it to others. But now we fast forward another six years and you just watch things. And in your brain, the storyteller 
is watching the story, recording things, uh, making suggestions, uh, making criticisms, every so often being amazed that something was done so well. Um, at what point did that come into play? Well, I guess only in the last couple of years, because it's only in the last couple of years that I've really spent any time watching television oh, that's or true. movies. But I think I think it's been like a hand-in-hand process because by the time I started watching a lot more television and movies, I'd already spent like four years or so doing this podcast. And so I think if I had watched the same stuff before I'd had a chance to really sit down and analyze story, then I wouldn't see the same things that I do now. I'd still have the same books written, but I wouldn't see beyond the veil, you know, see the the fake wizard in the background behind the curtain the way that I do now because of all of this analysis and speaking about it that I've done in the meantime. So I think that the process of trying to explain it has also forced me or allowed me to learn and understand story in a way that I never would have. Even if I wrote all the same books, I just, the the act of speaking and thinking, it's like, it's its own education in a way. And so I can see all this stuff now, but not because I'm oh so smart. It's because we've spent the last six years dissecting it. And I think without this podcast and these conversations that we've had, I may not have ever come to the epiphany that everything is story. Story is what matters. Like the writing is secondary to story. Like that thought alone is not natural. That is not something as a writer that you just naturally come to because as a writer, you are focused on the words on the page. You are focused on this plot and making these words work with the plot or maybe discovering the plot as you go, but it's about the words on the page. To be able to see that the words are just a tool and that ultimately story is what you're doing. And then to take a step back from that and say, okay, if writing isn't the concern and story is where it focuses, what do I really need to be looking at here and break it down from that perspective? That is not a natural process to being a writer. It is something that either comes from years of experience of trial and error or from being forced to think about it and analyze it so that you can teach it to somebody else or both combined. So when I talk about story, I'm not coming at it like, oh, everybody just needs to get on the same page with me. It's almost like, oh my God, you guys, I have discovered this amazing, amazing thing. And I'm so excited to share it with you because I just assume that, well, not everybody thinks about it because I didn't think about it. Maybe they do, but I wasn't. So it's all new to me. And so that's why story is such a focus for me because I want everybody to learn all these cool things that I learned. And I don't know if if people know this, and I I don't know that this is in fact true, but my sense is a lot of the times when we're talking, 
you are educating yourself as you go, where you'll be starting along one path and then all of a sudden a light bulb will go off in your mind and you veer off in this other direction because you've had this new insight. And then as you begin explaining it, you're clarifying your thinking in your mind. And by the end, you've come up with something really good that you hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about before. All the freaking time. <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons why I keep doing these podcasts is I learn so much from them and it's, you know, hopefully other people do too. But I feel like at this point, I could, no, I know I could, I just don't have the time. And I want to put together a masterclass on storytelling and, and I'm, I'll get there eventually. But could I have done this six years ago? No, because I just, it's understanding it right now is so much. It's, it's like a baker who bakes bread just understands how these ingredients work together to create X outcome. And me, I just go, that's witchcraft. <laughs> that, that, that's just pure magical casting spells, how you did that, because I don't understand it. I don't, I mean, I'm not stupid. I, I could learn it, but it's not a part of me. It's not like down in my soul where it's just, I eat and breathe and live baking stuff, but I do eat and breathe and live story stuff. So it's just a part of me now. And sometimes the challenge even is not it, it's it's figuring out how to break down this this whole universe of knowledge in a way that someone who's starting from scratch like me stepping into a kitchen and going i know nothing about baking bread and somebody's like well here's your flour hmm. and here's your yeast and here's your oil and here's your whatever else and the reason why we use those things is this does this this does that and you can change the outcome based on more of this or less of that. And they would break it down for me. And that's would allow me to go, okay. And I could make a very, very shitty, crappy first loaf of bread and I'd be all excited, but it wouldn't be anything close to what somebody with 20 years of bread making experience could be able to produce. But for me, it's special. And it's kind of the same way with writing. Like, I can say, well, here's your ingredients and here's how you do it. And then people will try and follow it and they'll make a mess and then get all discouraged because why can't I make these, my story, these words on the page do what you do? And I'm like, well, uh, eight books, six years of podcasting <laughs> and uh, countless hours. I mean, I don't know, maybe a year's worth of hours of writing tutorials and figuring it out that's why I can do this and you can't but with enough time and practice you might be able to get it to it even faster but you'll never get there if you're not doing it so it's the same analogy and you can apply it to anything where people become really really good at what they do you know doctors lawyers um airplane pilots just anything when that when that specialty is what you eat, breathe, think, and everything, it becomes a part of you. And you can totally explain what you're doing in your own language of, you know, of the industry you're in, and it'll just go right over everybody else's head if they're not at least somewhere along the way in, in understanding what it is 
that you know, this, this knowledge that you have. And the real challenge then is being able to teach it. And they say like, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach or whatever. And maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. But I think that it does take a special form of ability to be able to teach things in a way that someone else can take what you have said to them and turn around and be able to do the thing that everybody's telling you that you can't do. So eh, a little iffy on that one. Huge admiration for teachers is what I'm saying. And, and that I think it does them a disservice to say, you know, oh, you're teaching because you can't do it. And I, I, I just don't think so. Yeah, I've never been a, a big fan of that particular phrase. Anyway, that's that's my answer to that question. Okay, so you mentioned uh, one of the reasons is that you've written eight books. But I, I suspect that many of us have read authors who have written eight or more books and they you don't see a lot of development over the course of those books. So I, I think another another thing that works in your favor and probably in the favor of a lot of authors who are really focused on what they're doing uh, is that you're continually learning, you're continually applying what you learn, and your version of perfection is constantly moving. So what was what was the best you could possibly do in book two is not the best you could possibly do in book nine. This is true, 100%. And I think that straight across the board will apply to most authors. But there is a time investment as well in yes. being able to uh, work towards a an ideal or perfection, always striving, never achieving. and if you are someone who's writing quickly or writing a lot, you, you, that's got to give somewhere. And so you're just not going to have the time to analyze and to really think and, and work the turns of phrases and understand the, the way to deepen the story through multiple connections and callbacks and imagery and whatnot you just you just don't have that mental space for it and that's fine it's a choice and it's impossible to do it all so you you pick you pick what works best for you and you're like this is what I'm good with and I'm and I'm running with it so if you're seeing somebody who's got a ton of books and no real growth it doesn't mean that they don't know how to do it or that they I don't know, they're just not as good as somebody else. There could be many reasons. And one of those reasons might just be time. And you don't only have so much time. Good enough. Let's get it, get it done. And there's nothing wrong with that. Where I would say maybe there should be a little bit more investment is when before somebody has gotten to the point that they have written stories that have found an audience. Like if you're still struggling to find an audience, I mean, although in this day and age, that is it's a whole other thing. But if people just aren't really connecting with your work or, you know, you're sending it to your beta readers and, oh, it's, it's good. I enjoyed it. But you're not getting real specific mm -hmm. feedback. That means that you still need to spend more time working on the quality instead of the quantity. But once you've reached a certain point, then that's that's your choice. You know, 
you you might understand all the stuff. Like if I if I had if I was able to write faster and just ignore a lot of stuff that I know, I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Life would feel so much better if I could just keep pounding out pounding out the books. But my brain doesn't work that way. I'm very OCD about stuff, and so uh, I'm not capable of it. But I sure would love to be. So I have no. I feel very hesitant in making a statement saying, oh, yeah, if somebody has 20 books and you're not seeing a lot of growth, it's because X. It's like, hmm. Yeah, I that wasn't necessarily be. a criticism. It, it's just you you are so focused on what you're focused on and people who want to write faster. That I'm Presumably, there is improvement just by the act of doing things over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, there's the old phrase, uh, practice makes perfect and then some uh, wizened old person will nod sagely and say pra uh, perfect practice makes perfect. makes perfect yeah yep. and then also there's you know perfect uh is the what is it perfect is the enemy of getting it done or something yes. like yes just just perfect good is, is good enough yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so but you know we're all unique in how we process and work our work and so we're all going to find our own way to do it. And for some people like me, maybe perfect is the enemy of getting it done is just, that's my battle to fight, <laughs> but somebody right. else might not have to fight so hard. One last question. It's, right. it's summer. It's summer blockbuster movie time. If, uh, if writers are going to movies, what's one thing they should look at to improve their storytelling skills? That is a pop quiz question, isn't it? It's, it's I would say, one. I would say, be aware of how a movie makes you feel. And anytime you find yourself like going <gasps> like that, ask why. What was it that did that for you? And that will clue you in on what story works and what doesn't. And to go off on a little tiny tangent and hopefully not take us too far out of here. Thinking about the Avatar movies, um, I remember reading something that James Cameron wrote about the process that he goes through in really trying to narrow down into the emotional component that's driving the story. And it's always been fascinating to me because I enjoyed watching Avatar, but I wasn't like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And Avatar as a movie is, seems to be one of those movies that it's cool to put down. You see so many people bashing it like, oh, dances with wolves in space or, you know, whatever. There's lots of, you know, I'm snootier than thou and <laughs> I, I'm too highbrow for that stupid movie. And anybody who liked that movie is dumb and it was so overrated. But I think when we do that, we do a disservice to ourselves because that movie was not at the time the highest grossing movie of all time for no reason. And as much as we would like to point out, oh, it was all the special effects and la, 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 la. And yes, that surely played a role with it. People don't keep coming back to watch the same movie over and over and over for special effects. They keep coming back to watch the same movie over and over because it takes them someplace. And it's like an amusement park ride that is just a freaking thrill. 
And that can only happen if it's connecting with your emotions on some level. So even though a story like that isn't put together for any grand, you know, oh, we're going to be, we're going to, you know, really get in touch with the human emotion and we're going to speak to these larger issues or whatever. And I don't know, maybe that is sort of part of the process. I'm not privy to it. But that whole emotional component of the story is not undertaken lightly when he goes into writing a script. And you will see it over and over again in his movies. So you can bash them as much as you want and not enjoy them as much as you want, but there's still something of value in them to be learned about the art of storytelling. And that man understands storytelling. And he also understands how to utilize modern technology in a way that best fits that story. And that's something that you can carry back with you into writing novels in that ultimately underlying your your novel that you're writing is the emotional element, the human element, those types of things. And the equivalent of special effects is your writing craft. How well you're, you know, what styles you use to put it together, what what format, you know, are we doing it chronologically? Are we jumping back and forth in time? How do these puzzle pieces fit together? That's the equivalent of the, you know, whatever technology is being used to make the film at the time. You need both. You need the story and you need the technology. And that is how the process of novelization works too. You've got that, you've you've really got to think about the human element. What are people connecting to in this story? What's going to keep them coming back and wanting more? And then you've got the technology, which is your writing craft that that creates the framework to make that emotion, you know, work, to have its place, for it to, to feel complete and to be a thing and not just random snippets of humanity. So all right. And I have one more question, but I'm not going to use it. No, go ahead. It's fine. No, it's fine. No, 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 no. Okay. We are at 29 minutes, but I am going to record one of those little between the episode things with this question. So look for that after this episode. So right. uh, thank you guys for being here with us this week. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.